Chopsticks. A woman who had worked all her life to bring about good things was granted one wish. Before I die, please let me visit both hell and heaven. Her wish was granted. She was whisked off to this great banqueting hall. The tables were piled high with delicious food and drinks. Around the table sat these miserable, starving people, as wretched as they could be. Why are they like this? She asked the angel who accompanied her. Well, look at their arms, the angel replied. She looked and saw that attached to the people's arms were these very long chopsticks secured above the elbow. Unable to bend their elbows, the people aimed the chopsticks at the food, missed every time, and sat hungry, frustrated, and miserable. Indeed, this is hell. Take me away from here. She was then whisked off to heaven. Again, she found herself in a banqueting hall with tables piled very high. Around these tables sat people laughing, contented, joyful. No chopsticks, I suppose, she said. Oh, yes, there are. Look, just as in hell, they are long and attached above the elbow. But look, here people have learned to feed one another. This is Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'm a storyteller, an indie artist, and a muse. Welcome to my show where today I'll talk a little bit about this and that, personal perceptions and the way we're mirroring our natural world all the time. I'll be touching on motivation on into the show. So let's get in there and start with endangered species and why that matters. Why should we care about endangered species, saving ecosystems and stuff like that? We're pouring millions of dollars into saving vultures in India, and we've got starving communities of human beings right back here. Thousands of families depending on jobs in the oil sector have been put out of work to counteract carbon emissions. First of all, I'm going to quickly put to rest this apocalyptic fear that people have over Biden's executive order ending oil contracts on federal land. I want to do this before I even start talking about anything environmental. You can sign an order that stops new oil drilling contracts on federal land, but it has absolutely no effect on the contracts that are already in place. People aren't losing their jobs tomorrow. Under the X administration, we had almost 5,000 new contracts put in place on federal lands. And a contract usually lasts at least, at least 10 years. Now, while an executive order can look fancy and very immediate on television, the reality of it is that it affects new leases and not pre-existing ones. This means the 5,000 oil companies drilling on federal property can continue to do so until 2029. So it's highly unlikely that Uncle Joe Driller over here is going to get laid off from work tomorrow. Also, oil and gas companies usually wait that 10 years out anyway before they actually start producing from those leases. 
which means that whoever's employed under that lease has about 10 years to find a new job, which they're still not going to have to do because big oil companies can just jump to drilling on private property if and when their leases suddenly disappear, which they won't because oil drilling in the U.S. is not ending from a public display meant primarily for appearances. The truth is, the general public doesn't have any idea of what's going on in the meetings behind the closed doors of big industries in our government. But this is not a podcast about governmental politics, so I'm going to get away from that now. So just stop worrying so much. Go grab an ice cream and relax. Endangered species. Why should we even care when we've got human health and endangerment to care about? Well, because these things are not mutually exclusive. You know, when a population starts suddenly hearing about all this money being fed into, or environmental groups trying to beg for money to save, something like the yew tree, for example, this evergreen, which is this mystical tree that we hear about in history and novels, associated with druids and and Christmas and pagan spirituality. Suddenly, I'm hearing about this one particular tree I just know from stories of old religions. Who's trying to save it and why? Did a new coven of witches come into town? Why put any effort or hard-earned money into the sustainability and conservation of one particular evergreen tree that I only hear about in stories? There's a million evergreens. Well, because it treats cancer. This tree was considered a weed. It grew messy and, and all over the place, just sprung up, and it was in the way for big logging companies. And it was usually destroyed. This is information from the, uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. This tree made a comeback recently only after scientists found out that it produced Taxol, which is used to treat breast and ovarian cancer. We don't really hear about these sudden attempts to save obscure species of flowers and random ugly small animals that we've never heard of before for no reason. Nobody just sits back on their patio with a glass of tea and goes, Hey, you know, let's try and milk some money out of people by throwing some weird animal at them that they've never heard of and call it endangered. And we all know this. It happens when some group of analysts somewhere find out that dwindling populations are responsible for human health decline or some other really serious problem that's affecting us. And we get so many of these things blasted in our faces. It seems like something new is going extinct every single day. Something we've never heard of. Because we're so good at killing and destroying stuff. We're so efficient at hunting and disrupting cycles of life. And we're consuming too quickly. And survival of the fittest doesn't always realistically work out the way it does in theory. We're actually doing what the lynx does. The lynx in boreal forests, it goes after the snowshoe hare. It's named the snowshoe hare because it's this cute little rabbit with these really big back feet that work like snowshoes. 
anyway it's it's the primary food source for the lynx and the lynx will absolutely devastate a snowshoe hare population this is an example of extreme predatory behavior just like humans we are extreme predators so when the lynx wipes out a population of snowshoe hares they move on to a secondary prey somewhere else but it's not that good for them and they can't survive for very long on secondary prey and it takes time for those numbers of snowshoe hare to populate significantly again so the lynx population declines they die out just like we do we kill some of our most important resources and we start getting sick very very sick our health is dependent on this earth the medicine that we used is derived from plants just because it's made in a lab doesn't mean that the base ingredients didn't come from something natural and real out there somewhere these are very real things that go into medicine there was a study done. I, I, I love these studies, experiments. I, I'm so curious. There was a man-made ecosystem built in Arizona back in the 1990s, and it was called Biosphere 2. It was funded by this billionaire, Edward Bass, and it had all these systems, an agricultural area, a rainforest, even a miniature ocean, and a desert these things that it needed to emulate life on earth and these eight people human people volunteers <laughs> were uh, put in there to see if they could survive well it was a test sort of a, an experiment to see how easy it would be to build ecosystems on like Mars and other planets but these eight people men and women were sealed up in this place for two years from 1991 to 93. Now that's really not that long. A, a year flies by and this experiment failed. Our natural earthly ecosystem could not be successfully recreated in a way that would sustain human life for very long. They were always hungry. They never had enough food. They were breathing recycled oxygen most of the time because the plants in there couldn't reproduce and photosynthesize quickly enough to sustain uh, adequate oxygen levels. It was a disaster and it proved how reliant that we still are on our natural planet and all its biodiversity. Now I think, and, <laughs> and that sounds so egotistical, I hate saying it that way, but we all have opinions and I'm going to give you mine because egotistically this is my show. <laughs> I believe that most activist groups go about trying to save a species in the wrong way when they try to play on people's moral or ethical obligations. Because you know, moral and ethical are kind of subjective and they change according to time and environment and situation. We all saw that these past several years, being cooped up for long periods of time kind of drove people a little wacky. So if you're going to play to somebody's morals or their ethical standards, you're going to get too much opposition. Don't save a species for the species' sake. 
don't save the elephants because elephants are sweet and cool and smart and they deserve a good life. Save them because your life depends on it. Donate to, to you tree sustainability because you're investing in the possible disease treatment of somebody that you love one day. Think of survival here. Don't worry about being moral. Morals, ethics, compassion, they don't always work. Ivory hunting. Poachers killing elephants for their ivory. There's some strict punishments for that in areas where it happens, but it doesn't work that well because the black market works way more efficiently than punishment does. And humans, with their egos, have the natural tendency to want to take risks anyway. This is why gambling is so addictive. It's an adrenaline rush. Punishment never works as effectively as we think it does. And this whole scenario is structured on top of morals, ethical obligation, a concentration on how wrong and terrible the poaching of elephants is, as opposed to another solution that focuses on changing consumer behavior. And you can do that through media. Media is so powerful. <laughs> it's more powerful than punishment. Ivory is absolutely and completely a status symbol. It, it does nothing else. And a really surprising thing about that trade is that a lot of it is disguised as antique when it's really not. And it brings in more money because most people assume that if they're buying antique ivory, it's not hurting an elephant. But the reality of the matter is that they're actually not getting antique ivory. They're getting the new stuff and elephants keep getting killed. And most probable buyers of ivory, after being surveyed, said that they would support a blanket ban on it. A lot of the time the ivory antiques, quote unquote antiques, are purchased as gifts for people. And a lot of the time the people who can't afford it are the ones who want it the most. Just throwing that out there. Trying to appeal to people's morals and ethics and banning and making things illegal doesn't usually work that well. And of course, people will lie on surveys. But media is something that can always be used creatively to guide people's desires. Remember that, that propaganda works like magic. Imagine what you can do with simple creative guidance. So the endangerment of animals and the effort to save the things on our planet that will ultimately save us and our children is kind of taxing and complicated. But this old parable keeps coming to my mind when I think of things like this. The two men that were out on that boat in the ocean and one of them takes out a drill and starts drilling the bottom of the boat. The other guy flips out and he's like, oh my gosh, why are you drilling a hole in the boat? And the dude answers, well, what do you care? I'm only drilling on my side. There's other versions of that, but that's the gist of it. The best way to influence and change human behavior is to surround those humans with the things that you want them to do. Because we mirror each other. We mirror our environments whether we mean to or not. And the easiest and most efficient way to do that is to influence through the media. We all found out how incredibly potent that was these past two years. 
If you're living right in the middle of a bunch of people who are very innovative, stay upbeat most of the time. Try to find the best solutions and keep level heads. People who are helpful and determined and strong. You will naturally gravitate towards copying that sort of thing. The energy of that is addictive. You become more motivated, more positive, more inclined to be inventive, think out more solutions, be helpful. Place somebody in an economically depressed place with people who are constantly angry, scared, stressed out. No matter what opportunities that person might notice, they're not generally going to grab them up and use them. They're going to stay stuck in that depressive state. They're going to stay unmotivated unless they find a way to force themselves out of that and mentally separate themselves from those surroundings. And that can be through the books that they read, the shows that they decide to watch, the things that they find themselves interested in. Media, social media. There are solutions, but they don't work overnight. And most of the time, people don't think of using those solutions in a way that benefits. But they are there. Opportunities are always floating around, here and there. We've just got to place ourselves, literally and tangibly place ourselves in a place, and that can be mentally, doesn't always have to be physically, where those opportunities present themselves more often. And your opportunity is whatever you are interested in. Not everybody's opportunity is going to be the same. We don't all want the same opportunity. A chance at a basketball scholarship is going to be great for somebody, somewhere, but I'll be damned if I want one. I have no desire to play basketball or go to college again. I've been to college three times already. I'm sick of school. I like learning things, but I'm at a point now where I can do my own research and I counsel other people now if, if that's something that comes up. My opportunity is going to look different than this guy's over here. So whatever you want, just start taking the steps that put you in a place somewhere where you will be surrounded by people and things that will start to close you in on those opportunities. Make them present themselves quicker and do it before your own dreams and your own goals become endangered. This is real easy to do too. Just stop spending time on the things that you know aren't going to get you there. Simple. Don't pay so much attention to a boring, monotonous Facebook feed every morning that's just going to stir up stress and keep you glued to information that has nothing to do with what you really want happening in your life. You don't have to get away from the computer completely. The computer is not the devil. You can still use a computer and, and look at things and surf the net. But what do you really want? Look at that stuff. Do that. Want to be a writer? What are you waiting on? Write something. If you want to be a writer, start writing. Don't wait until you got a book deal. You're not going to get one. Don't wait until you find somebody who's going to publish you. You're not going to find them. Do it yourself. Don't worry about the prestige of being professionally published. Who cares anymore? 
I've seen a hundred professionally published books sitting on the sale rack in Barnes and Noble, and nobody cares. Nobody's heard of these people. There's a bunch of finicky consumers mauling around that sale table, picking at and looking through books, and they're not going to buy them. And most of them are just there to get out of the house, go get a coffee, show off their new sweater or, or their hair that finally looks good for a change. They don't really care who these writers are. So go write your story. Share your life with people on social media. Get yourself into groups that do care about supporting each other and people who do want to read your story. People who are interested in the things that you're writing about, the things you're interested in. Find your tribe. Go out of your way to meet and talk to writers who inspire you. I mean, why not? Who said you can't talk to some famous writer that you think the whole world of? Start making those connections. Start networking. Get your stuff out there, even if it's not making you any money. You will eventually see that opportunity, and you can grab it. Opportunities are not always about money. If your goal is simply to make money, well, you can do that by simply hooking up with some lonely rich person who wants some company. They're all over the place. But if you really have a passion, don't dwell on the money. We all need money. It's a thing. You kind of can't eat without it. But if this is the sole purpose to a, a person's well-being, well, money is in actuality everywhere. But that money-focused person will have to do some things that they don't want to do, stray away from their passions to get it. So if you're not into that, and you want your passion to be in your life now, then concentrate on your passion. Concentrate on your passion. Place yourself in passion's way. My passions are, are diverse, for example. I, I have more than one. Nature, the outdoors, music and art, and those things kind of go together. And as I place myself in their way, they begin to blend. And suddenly I find myself living this life that suits me. This life that provides me with these opportunities that make me happy and keep me healthy and keep me sane. My art is blending in with nature and that's blending in with my music, which is about to present itself soon, by the way, I hope. <laughs> I've been sitting on that one for a while. I don't want to endanger my own dreams. I don't want to forget them. And so I strategically place myself where I'm going to find them every day. I spend my energy on actions that keep me moving in that direction all the time, all the time. I never stop. And that's why I'm here today. And that's why you see the books and the pictures and hopefully sometime soon the music that I'd like to make for you. And I'm happy because I'm living my passions, which didn't come from sitting around just thinking about them. I'm living those dreams, not just dreaming about those dreams. This has been Natural and Wild with me, Christine Grayson. I'd like to thank some very special people who have continued to support this show. 
Sheila McGregor, Robin Umber, Chris Nolan, Yvonne Ragland, Bruce Presson, Arnold Bloom, and William Bishop. I want to thank everybody who's donated to the virtual chip jar via PayPal. The link is at the bottom of the podcast page of my website. And there's also a link in the description if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or or Spotify or any other podcast networking platform. Have a great weekend, guys, and I'll talk to you again next week.